think honestly, I kind of love doing what's not easy. So recognizing that this was a block for me, that I had, a, I still had a lot of jealousy that I was not really comfortable seeing my partner with another person, um, learning how to communicate these feelings, learning how to work with someone through discomfort. I saw that as the most valuable gift that I could receive, like as again, a human trying to be in this world. Um, yeah, mo there, aren't been, there are not very many things that are difficult for me, like really, truly like gonna make me cry in bed all day. Uh, I feel really lucky. And I came up against something that was like really throwing my head for like a spin in a washing machine. And I wanted to know why. And I wanted to be more secure in my own self so that I could continue loving and attaching to others securely. Welcome to Normalizing Non-Monogamy, the podcast where we interview incredible people from across the entire spectrum of non-monogamy to hear their fascinating stories. We strive to bring guests on the show who have a healthy approach to non-monogamy. However, it's important to remember that everyone does it a little bit differently, and the views and opinions expressed by our guests do not necessarily reflect our own. Additionally, we produce this show for entertainment purposes only. Please be aware that we aren't doctors or therapists. Consult the medical professional for anything regarding your health that you might learn about on the show. Enjoy! Welcome to episode 180. We're Finn and Emma, and today we have an interview with G. This is a very powerful interview, and G has explored a lot of different types of non-monogamy and different dynamics, I should say, of non-monogamy throughout their journey. Yeah, I think... One of the things that I took away from this was just how many experiences and, I guess, wisdom. Yeah. Not, not to say, like, people who are in their mid-20s can't be wisdomists, <laughs> to steal a friend's quote. But uh, We didn't mention that they're 25 years old. I just did. <laughs> people in their 20s. Anyway, I flew right past your friend's joke. Sorry. I know. It's okay. I'm used to my friend's <laughs> jokes going over people's heads. I got it. I just flew past it. Nevertheless, uh, yeah, thank you, G, for everything. Uh, it's an amazing discussion. We hope everybody enjoys it. Uh, this won't be the last time you uh, hear from G either because they're coming back with Zach uh, from episode 141 and Leanne from episode 173 uh, because one of G's credentials is that they were like, we'll call it team captain of yeah. the, the orgy team at Yale. They took over the reins a couple years after Zach. And so, yeah. It's a super, uh, we're looking forward to that um, sort of roundtable discussion. We're going to bring the three of them back and talk about like how to create safe parties, how to be inclusive, uh, just so many different things around that. So and, stay tuned. Yeah. That will be coming very soon. I feel like you just played me off like I was at the Oscars. <laughs> well, you're kind of rambling. So I'm, I'm, I'm excited. I'm excited. I am too, but as I was trying to wrap it up. All right, fine. Tell them about the other exciting news that we forgot last week. <laughs> so... Finn and I realized that we've just passed our three-year podcast anniversary, pod anniversary, whatever you want to call it. I would just call it a podcast anniversary. Podcast anniversary. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So that was so, last week. And yeah, we missed May, it. May second is our anniversary, and we just completely 
didn't remember. We forgot. So anyway, we're super excited that it can't actually believe that it's been th- three years. And we just wanted to have a huge or say a huge shout out to everyone who's been on our show, who's reached out to us, who's been a Patreon member, who just supported us in any way. Who's had us on their show. We've yes. been on a lot of different podcasts. And yeah, anybody who's really supported the show is just, we can't believe we're still doing this every week. Three right. years later. So right. 180 episodes plus some special ones. So we actually have like 210 episodes. Out yeah, there. it's pretty wild. It's really wild. So, so this obviously high wouldn't five. high five. It would not be possible without all of you. So yeah. thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And while we're talking thank yous, uh, one goes out again, another one to the Patreon community. Uh, huge support there. There's over 160 members. If you're looking for other non-monogamous people or you're just interested in like meeting other open-minded people, not everybody in there is non-monogamous, um, it's a fantastic community. It really got us through the last year and a half. Um, for sure. It's been amazing and incredible. We got some dates coming up. Um, May 17th is the next men's group call. The women's group is going to be two days later on the 19th. And then our monthly video Q&A uh, will be on May 26th. And so if you want to learn more about that, head over to our website, normalizingnonmonogamy.com. Click on the Patreon tab and you'll see all the information about how to join and what that looks like uh, for just a few bucks a month. Yes. So go check that out. We also upcoming have a new, not a new. <laughs> what do we got? What is it? Tell me what it is. (laughs) We also have our monthly virtual meet and greet coming up on May 20th. It's a Thursday from 6 to 9, I'm sorry, 6 to 8 p.m. Pacific, 9 to 11 p.m. Eastern. These are open to anyone that wants to join. They're only $10. They're super fun. If you haven't checked it out or even if you have, come back, join us on Thursday, May 20th. To sign up, go to our website, normalizingnonmonogamy.com and click on the meet and greet tab. Again, only ten dollars. I got excited when you said we have a new. I was like, "What do we got?" I don't even, <laughs> I don't even know what we have. Well, it's new for the month of May. Sure. <laughs> Whatever you got to tell yourself. Gotta throw that in there. <laughs> All right. Last thing, we just wanted to say uh, thank you again um, for to everybody who's uh, again supported you almost, us. Almost, I almost me. did. You. <laughs> Stop it. <laughs> interrupting and we're not and we're not editing any of this out (laughs) so thank you again to everybody uh if you don't mind head over while you're at our website signing up for all the different things send us an email or send us a voicemail let us know how you're doing let us know how we're doing uh we'd love to hear from everybody if you're interested in coming on the show please reach out you don't have to be a team captain organizer in order to come on the show you just have to be an awesome human willing to share your story yes so we'd love to hear from you uh we look forward to hearing from you And we hope you enjoy this conversation with G. Yeah, let's go. Well, welcome, G, to the show. We're so excited to have you here. And we're so excited for this conversation. So thanks for being here. Yeah, thanks for having me. You know, the, we'd love for you to introduce yourself and... Because we've we've determined during the pre-chat that we have no idea how to do that. So <laughs> yeah. we're going to let you do that. And we then had a we little will, bit of a confusion. We'll come back in when it feels safe again. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good. Well, so I think part of the confusion is that I have many hats, many names. I'm Genevieve. I'm G. I'm Lady Surge in the Uncensored community. My pronouns are they, them. And I am... Just a 25-year-old human trying to figure out what I'm doing in this world. (laughs) (laughs) That's a fantastic introduction. I love it. (laughs) 
<laughs> I, I love it as well. And and I think, you know, maybe it's pertinent to say that we were introduced to you by a former guest, Zach, uh, and I, his episode eludes me, I'm going to guess, in the 140s. But Zach... We'll have this in... We'll yeah, it'll be the in the show notes. In but The intro, too. You and Zach have a tie back to the Yale originization. Uh, for anybody who hasn't listened to that one, uh, that's a fantastic discussion. Go listen to the episode with Zach. But he said, well, we have to talk to G, and here we are. Yeah, wow. So Zach is one of the OG originizers of <laughs> what I love that you called it a team and a club. Yeah. Technically, we were just a group of friends but uh, who started throwing orgies. Zach started throwing orgies with some friends, and it grew um, by the time I was a senior, we had actually had sort of a, a kosher, you know, student sexual culture forum organization that we had non-heteronormative discussions about relationships, all these things. And then kind of on the side, we threw basically twice a semester orgies for the campus community. Yeah. I think that's awesome. And I think like the, the activism piece behind it is something that we'd love to, to hear more about, but maybe take us back in time to like, what was your introduction to sex positivity, non-monogamy, all of the things that have you wind up in an, uh, we'll call it an orgy team because I like that the best. <laughs> <laughs> I really love that. Yeah. Never, never called us a team before, but we totally were. Um, well, to go all the way back to before I had ever heard of anything to do with non-monogamy. I was a little teenage G in California, and I had a really traumatic first relationship with a lot of infidelity and um, just trauma wrapped around it. And so when I got to college, I had considered myself, you know, like so monogamous, like I was going to marry my high school sweetheart kind of thing. And, but I realized like, maybe I should try something different. That didn't really work out for me. Like I wasn't really a fan of jealousy. I wasn't really a fan of control <laughs> in terms of a romantic relationship. And so I started dating someone who was already pretty ahead of me in terms of the open relationship, which is what we called it back then. Um, and that was in high school. Well, uh when I first Early got to college. college, yeah, like first the beginning college, of I'm college, sorry. I started dating someone who was already pretty outgoing and uh, emotionally and sexually, uh, I guess, adventurous. And so this person started throwing orgies and I was going to them because, of course, uh, as a partner of someone who's throwing them, I'm going to be there. And a caveat, ethical non-monogamy or open relationships at first was not easy for me. I, I had a lot of emotional turbulence, even though intellectually I was there. And so we were, we were long distance open. We were open on campus. And I was never really vibing like the first orgy I went to. You know, I had fun. I had a, my first threesome, et cetera, um, with two people I just met. And it was hot. It was sexy. But I still didn't really feel secure in our relationship that eventually I worked on and I grew into it. And part of that I think is because they wanted a femme person to step up into the leadership role. They usually had some men, some women, um, organizers, organizers, 
And since I was going already and I figured, hey, I know everyone, I know what works, I know what doesn't work, might as well step into the role. So my sophomore year or into my junior year, I started taking on one of the leadership roles of the team. Um, and slowly over time throughout college, you know, we were, I was dating multiple people. I was studying abroad. I was, I was, I started dating someone in a long distance monogamous relationship at one point. I was part of, you know, triads. I was, I kind of did it all. Um, and then towards the end of college, right after graduation since I have lived my life pretty much consistently either like poly with a primary partner or solo poly. So like lots of lovers, lots continuously dating. And um, yeah, that's, that's a, that's a big overview. I don't know. I threw a lot. Yeah. (laughs) And there's so many questions. Well, I think I, I just, I love like the nonchalant approach. You're just like, well, I started dating somebody and they were, throwing orgies so i just went to the orgies that's like it's like oh i started dating a swimmer and i just started going to swim meets and like that's just and it's like i just like i think maybe there's something there that and you said it wasn't easy so maybe going back to that and being like i feel like it's not just that easy like oh well they threw orgies so now i go to orgies and now i'm just a person who does orgies like yeah was it that seamless of a transition okay that's that's a really good point and many years down the line, this is like, we're talking eight years ago, right? I've pushed past my discomfort with a lot of ethical non-monogamy or just open relationships. I was always really sexually adventurous and I come from a really supportive, open, loving household. And so I was always comfortable when I started exploring my own sexuality in college and recently gender, like always been affirmed in any path I've set out to follow. And I think, honestly, I kind of love doing what's not easy. So recognizing that this was a block for me, that I had a, I still had a lot of jealousy, that I was not really comfortable seeing my partner with another person, um, learning how to communicate these feelings, learning how to work with someone through discomfort, I saw that as the most valuable gift that I could receive, like as again, a human trying to be in this world. Um, just the, the opportunity to, you know, quote unquote, improve or grow. Yeah. yeah. Mo- there are, then there are not very many things that are difficult for me, like really, truly like going to make me cry in bed all day. Uh, I feel really lucky. And I came up against something that was like really throwing my head for like, a spin in a washing machine. And I wanted to know why. And I wanted to be more secure in my own self so that I could continue loving and attaching to others securely. Mm-hmm. And so how did that, how did you start to work through that? Cause that's like, like you said, if you haven't, if you haven't come up against that very often, everything is sort of easy. And now you're sort of hit with a wall. As much as I hate this answer time is the best medicine for any dilemma. And I, I remember talking to friends and talking to a therapist and people saying like, it doesn't seem like you're enjoying this that much. And I was like, I am enjoying it. It's just hard for me. And I didn't let it be 
being hard. I didn't let the fact that it was hard for me stop. Um, I did a lot of journaling. I did a lot of crying in bed some days, you know, like there were, there were times where I was like undoing everything that I had learned about my own, like self-worth in terms of like how people treat me in society in terms of what I'm capable of doing. And then to take it back to like today in terms of how I see my whole life, I don't really prioritize romantic relationships as much in terms of relationship anarchy. Like I love people. I'm going to continue loving people whether or not I see them every day or not. And so just because I have one friend doesn't mean I can't have like 10 friends. Right. And so I, I translated that to relationships like, okay, I can, I can love this one person. I still love that person. I, I have to find a way to come to terms with the fact that I'm always going to love all these people. Right. And during that time, you know, you said you did a lot of journaling, you talked to people like for people who other people who are maybe going through that, do you have any thoughts to how, I guess, advice or tips on how to work through some of those really difficult things? Yeah. So number one, I would say find someone with more experience than you find resources such as this podcast. Uh, I had a lot of mentors, Zach being one of them, who you see them down the road living this life that is beautiful and you aspire to, you know, a very freely loving life and learning about their process and just kind of taking in how they engage with their loved ones. And you can learn what you don't want to do from them as well. Like maybe that doesn't work for me. All right. I, I need a nest partner. Um, actually I never want to live with anyone like things like that. Once you get further down the road. But at first I'd say the biggest thing is if you're interested in non-monogamy, you need to be on the same page as your partner, but to be on the same page as your partner, you need to be on the same page as yourself. So like figure out what you want. Um, and that might involve again, trying lots of different things and figuring out this doesn't work for me. I, I had a partner who I was trying to open our relationship with and they were just really unhappy in an open relationship. And I had to eventually just say, Hey, this is something that's really important to me. And I don't think that it's what's right for you right now. Like we can push through and it might get easier, but if you're not enjoying yourself, then this relationship isn't going to work out. And so, yeah. Yeah. And I think maybe expanding just on what you said, like you need to be on the same page as yourself, but that, and then you kind of said it, like that doesn't mean don't do a single thing until you know exactly who you are and exactly what you want, because that's, that's going to be an ever moving changing. Yeah. That's going to yeah. be always in flux. And so yeah. it's, it's a lot of trial error, tweaking, growing, figuring yourself out along the way. And it's, it is scary. It's hard. <laughs> Hence the time you need to make a lot of mistakes. <laughs> yes, yeah, you do. That's a really good point too. Like, don't be afraid to make mistakes because that's how you learn. That's how you grow. Yeah. I think maybe though on that, on the piece of time, like somebody listening, that's maybe in their forties, fifties, sixties, starting to try this. And you're like, well, I'm 25 and I like seemingly have it all figured out. Um, do you, do you feel that way? 
Who no. <laughs> Good. I, That's what I wanted to hear. <laughs> yeah, it's like, uh, if I ever think I have it all figured out, please, please stage an intervention. Um, I have a lot more figured out than I did. And that's always going to be the case. Like you're always going to be growing and always learning. Um, what are some of the things you've learned about yourself or the ways that you've grown and changed over the last, let's call it five ish years or so, maybe six years. It's a great question. I'd say that I have grown a lot better at prioritizing my own needs. I think in the past, my f- attachment style has been on the spectrum towards anxious. <laughs> and, you know, I really love providing love for people and I love making people feel good. But I have to recognize that, like, I can't derive all my own pleasure from that pleasure of others. So um, I masturbate a lot more. I never used to masturbate, honestly. Like, I was sexually active for maybe five years before I started consistently masturbating. And so I think this like self-pleasure component of ethical non-monogamy, like my primary is myself. That's my, I'm my primary partner. And then I have lots of other lovers, but I always need to remember that at the end of the day, like what's my capacity? I can check. I say no a lot more, like still not that often. Again, a lot to learn, but I, I'm recognizing that I can't just, I can't be as fully in love with everyone at the same time. My energy doesn't allow for that. Um, and so, yeah, my, my dad always tells me one thing at a time when I told him about like my lifestyle and so on and so forth. And I was like, (laughs) True. But like, I can do one thing and then the next day do something else. (laughs) But I, I I have learned to focus a little in terms of being present and that starts with me. Yeah. Yeah. One thing I was curious about is you, you mentioned that you grew up in a very, like in a very loving family. And do you mind sharing a little bit more about your, about how you grew up? And because I feel like that um, probably shaped in how you went into everything in your late teens? I think about this a lot, actually, because my parents are both in the performing arts and music industry, nonprofit, and like behind the scenes world as well. But we always had different artists and musicians coming through, living with us for a week to a couple months to, you know, a year, who knows. And so the fact is that I'm used to a nuclear, like home environment, always in flux. And I'm also used to many different kinds of people coming in. So I'm, I'm definitely a novelty seeker. I'm definitely someone who thrives in crowds. Like I am an extrovert. Um, and so I definitely attribute a lot of my childhood surrounded by people from all over the world, um, to my love for people all over the world. (laughs) (laughs) I I mean, that's, yeah, that's fantastic. Like you having those experiences where it's not just every day the family sits around the table and eats dinner and you just have this tiny little pod with not much exposure until you hit college. Right. And then, because I think that can be an issue, right? Everybody's got this little tiny worldview 
and then they hit college and they're like, oh, like the world is a bigger place. At least that can happen. That can happen, right? Especially like, you know, we grew up in a pretty small town and we didn't have a ton of that like exposure. And so that's, yeah, it's very interesting. Yeah, I really consider myself uh, lucky for many reasons, obviously that being one. And I, and something else that I realized is that I recognize that there are people who are integral to your life and you care about deeply that you see maybe once every 10 years. Like I saw that these relationships my parents had with their friends and colleagues that when they were together, they were very, very close, but then they might not see each other again, you know, for a decade and recognizing that these non-linear consistent relationships are just as valuable and just as valid as well. Well, and it sounds like they've been pretty supportive at least based on what you said earlier, like your dad saying like, Hey, do one thing at a time, but like there's a level of support behind that in, in the way that you live and the way that you do relationships. Yes. They trust that I will learn from my own mistakes and they're happy to let me do so. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, It's almost passive aggressive, but I'll take it. Like, Oh yeah. You'll, you'll learn. This isn't the way to do it. (laughs) Just a little bit. Uh, Oh, man. Thinking back to uh, your first year of college and and dating someone and then going to that orgy, I would love it if you could talk a little bit about that first or those first couple experiences of what was that like and how, because I'm assuming you hadn't done that type of thing before. (laughs) Yeah, I had not. I, let's see, where to start? Well, a little bit of just orgy context for those who are still thinking that it's a free for all, just, you know, buck and all. Um, This first orgy I went to was on the smaller side towards the end of my organizer career. We had parties of upwards to a hundred people, but this one was maybe like 20 in a basement of a house off campus. And there was a big ball pit and on the balls were written little sexy uh, I guess prompts for people to do once they were naked in the ball pit. But also there were people just hanging out, snacking, having a drink with their clothes on. And um, at our events, we had a consent rule that you had to ask someone before you touched them, even to hug or for a kiss or whatever. So every engagement was very intentional and very clear on what was happening. Um, and I remember. I remember my partner and I started hooking up to get things going because he was an organizer and I was down. Hmm. Um, And at some point the, the mattresses filled up with people and I found myself, there were a bunch of mattresses on the floor. We're in a basement of a house, like not that, (laughs) not that uh, luxurious of a first orgy. Um, And I, the funniest part was that, In this threesome, I found myself having, um, you know, a lot of consent, a lot of slowly leading up to it. Kiss Me Through the Phone started playing. I don't know if you know this song. I don't know that one. Okay. Well, for any listeners out there having a good laugh, I was also having a good laugh. I was like, I can't believe I'm at an orgy and Kiss Me Through the Phone is playing and I'm having a threesome. It was just like a very surreal (laughs) moment. It's like, it's a funny song. It's like throws back to my, my Bay area hyphy days. Um, Uh but 
I, I, rem- I remember really enjoying that moment. And I guess there was a lot of, yeah, a lot of insecurity still at just like being naked in front of a lot of people, having sex in front of other people where none of these were things that I'd done before. But I guess I have a bit of an exhibitionist streak in me because I did enjoy it. And I did, I did enjoy, not in a voyeuristic sense, but I did enjoy like seeing people have sex. Cause I didn't, I didn't really watch porn up at, I, I still don't, I've mostly consumed auditory porn, but I hadn't really seen that many other people had have sex in my life either. And I was like, Oh, cool. Like I'm doing it right. Like this is what, pe- like people are just bodies like interacting, like, all right, cool. Like at one point, I think someone like did an Eiffel tower just as a joke. <laughs> and I was like, this is like, we're just having fun. We're playing with our bodies together. And it's, construed as sexual and risque or whatever but it's really just humans and interacting um and we we can stay on this subject for a sec but this is making me think that i really want to talk about kink as well and like Mm -hmm. the bdsm play parties that i have since started going to in the last couple years of my life because those are actually not very sexualized and a lot of the time it's just let's say people getting tied up or impact or whatever and it's really just adult play time Mm-hmm. And so the fact is that like, I recognized how natural of, of a gathering it could be to just be bodies having sex. And that realization of like, wow, this is, this is what people do. There's no shame in what we do and how we procreate and how we love. And yeah. Do you, do you think that just, kind of linking the last two topics together a little bit. Like, do you think that growing up the way you did and the love that you saw with other people, like made it easier for you to see that when you got in that environment? Definitely. I think about all the work I've had to put in to accept my own explorations. Um, and I, and I recognize that it must be exponentially harder for others because it, it wasn't easy, like I've said. Um, yeah, I'm really grateful because I think I had a few, like, steps of a head start in terms of that aspect. Yeah, yeah I think it's fascinating the, like, maybe I think a, a good example of that is, and I think you kind of glossed over it pretty quick, is that, like, you you not only went to your first orgy, but you were the person who kicked it off. Like, <laughs> yeah. Like that's like most people would be like, well, I went to my first orgy and I sat in the corner until like 10 minutes before it was over. And then like, I took my shirt off <laughs> and you're like, no, no, I was the first one on the mattress with my partner. And like, we got her going. Like, I just think that's pretty awesome. <laughs> it's amazing. <laughs> yeah. I guess I, I like doing things fully if I'm going to do them. Yeah. I know that one. <laughs> I know that playbook. <laughs> Trust me. Uh, but if, if I'm going to do it, just jump right in. Why not? Yeah. What's the point in tiptoeing? <laughs> yeah. So, oh, so you, you also said, though, that you then from that point, you navigated through different relationship dynamics, triads and various capacities of other non-monogamous dynamics. 
Do you maybe mind talking a little bit about like what that exploration looked like and why, or maybe how you came to be like, I've decided I'm my primary and I'm, I'm on this solo poly journey at the moment. Like, cause you, like you said, you, it was time and it was exploration and you went through a lot of those iterations in a, a couple year period. Yeah. Well, of course, a lot of it's situational life happens. I had two relationships that were open that for different reasons, but essentially ended because they weren't, ready to be in an open relationship because they had a, someone up, one of their partners wanted to be monogamous or when COVID hit, we were long distance and then they started seeing someone else and it just like wasn't sustainable. And so I will say, of course, with great reward comes like great. What is the phrase? Threat of I'm messing that up, but you know what I mean. I was, I, you lost, yeah, I was gonna. Wait, I was hoping you were gonna find it on your own. <laughs> I was like, I know. With great, was it great risk comes great reward? Yeah, there we go. I started backwards, um, <laughs> and so I started with the rewards because while it can be really fulfilling to have multiple partners, um, like like I said, everyone has multiple friends. Like we all have multiple people in our support system, but romantically, it. I, it's kind of just like whatever, whatever happens. Like right now I'm seeing someone and it's just, it is what it is. Like there's not really, there's no really definitions. And then I have like a partner in back in the Bay that, you know, we both date other people, but we've been seeing each other consistently when I'm around for like two years now. So in some ways it's a longer term relationship, but in many ways it's a, new relationship because we don't actually spend that much time together in person. So it's like, I've been traveling and moving around a lot. And I think that's a big part of why this lifestyle works for me. Um, yeah. Did I answer the question? I don't know. It was a good, it was a good point, whatever. <laughs> I don't know that it really matters. Like yeah, yeah. Relationship structures. Yeah. Well, I think the maybe to build on that, um, like, you said that you struggled early on with like seeing your partner with other people and that I'm trying to think of the best way to ask this. Like that, that perhaps a lot of the time, or maybe in some cases that like the issue with people exploring this isn't that they struggle with being able to love multiple people, but maybe they struggle with like the insecurity of knowing that the people they're with, that they're not that person's like, primary focus and like is that that sort of sounded like what you talked about early on and and like how you've come around to like I don't know if it's self-confidence or self-love like not feeling like you have to have all of somebody's attention to be enough that is maybe the most recent tier of the pyramid I have reached it takes a really long time to get there for a long time even once I was comfortable in open relationships and my partner is dating other people. I definitely wanted to be a priority. Like you said, I wanted to know that I was, I guess, coming first in terms of their energy or time, but the most important tool I think is to look internally again and say, huh, what happens if I spend more time with someone else than this person who's my primary? Like, how can I rank 
how much I care about someone. Like, and, uh, and at times there are going to be people that you want to spend time with and people that you don't. And it's, and it kind of came down to the points. Like I want the people I care about to do what makes them happy. And if they want to spend time with me and I want to spend time with them, then we'll spend time together. And I'm not going to ask for someone's time that they don't want to give. And so I guess a lot of that's a relinquishing of control over the situation. You can't control someone else's feelings. You can't even control your own feelings as much as you can commit to things. You can commit to relationships and you could commit to trying to maintain them despite your feelings changing. You can commit to love and cherish them as a person in your life, regardless of the actual day-to-day interactions that you have. And so, yeah, I guess right now I'm, I'm okay with not being someone's priority because I'm my priority. I've taken over that mantle in my own life. And I know that I don't need to be someone else's priority. I was dating for a long, long stretch, like continuously kind of relationship be it open or not from 15 to like 22 um and then I had a little bit of time for myself and then in this past year with quarantine I had a lot more time with myself and I really think that that was integral in this latest development of like not needing to be someone's priority so yeah really really recent this is not something I I would have said a year ago that I was comfortable with yeah. And and in terms of difficulty, where would you put that on the difficulty scale? Just for for people who are trying to do this. <laughs> Good question. That that are they're, they're saying like, well, yeah. I haven't done that. I guess I just have to go out and do that. Like it's not a thing you do in a day. Who I mean, on a scale of 1 to 10, it's like a 20, right? It's it's not yeah. easy to decouple our belief that the type of relationship we have with a person determines like a, how they feel about us, how they express those feelings to us. And this is really why, again, it's so important to be on the same page because a lot of people, as you know, well, have different ways of showing love or different needs that are going to be met in different ways. And so, I have to write, I've noticed this with actually a lot of my platonic friends. Like sometimes I don't have enough time to give our friendship what they might be asking for. And that's really hard. And I really encourage friends to tell me that like, Hey, like I want to talk to you more often or, Hey, I feel like I'm not being, um, yeah, I'm not being prioritized. And it's like, okay, I'm really glad you could explain that to me. That's not how I feel. I feel like you are, you know, at the top of my list. I might think of you daily. We might not talk that often, but here's where I'm at. Let's see if we can reconcile what you want expressed and what I want to express and how can we make sure we both are thriving. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And like you said, though, like they, they don't hear from you daily, but you're thinking of them daily but they don't know that, right? They don't know where they stand with you. Right. And I think that that's easy to translate into the relationship world too. Like you don't know 
you know, I don't know Emma's thinking about me when she's sitting there. Like we, uh, you hope, but you don't know. And so like hearing those little like affirmations and things is really helpful. Yeah. So it's like, how often do you want affirmation? Like how often do you want to give affirmation? These things are really crucial, especially when you're thinking about not being someone's quote unquote priority mm-hmm. because you need to make sure your needs will still be met. Even if let's say you have a partner that has another partner they live with. Yeah. That's, fascinating to think about like finding that balance yeah and and figuring out what you need right and learning yourself that self-awareness yeah honestly though i think not i know a lot of people belittle unicorns but i kind of love being a third into like a really solid relationship it's because it's like you guys are doing all the work i'm just having fun like I, your needs, like I date a lot of people who date other people. And it's like, I love knowing that everyone's needs are met and I don't have to do anything for you. Like, it's kind of awesome. <laughs> like, like <laughs> I love that. Love that perspective. I mean, like it's, it's, it's works for you, right? Like you're like, Oh, this is, yeah. Like, you're well, but I would say, I would just argue the flip side of that is that really probably I'm projecting onto you, but that works for you because you are your primary. And I yeah. think, you like coming into a relationship where you're expecting almost nothing from another couple other than like, let's have some rocking sex tonight. And then I'll see you guys the next time you want to have some awesome sex. Like that you're meeting your own emotional needs allows you to be that unicorn without feeling the shitty, yeah. the shitty side of the and not unicorn. And not many people I would yeah. assume are in that place so. all the time. And neither am I, of course. Right, of course. No, for sure. Right. For sure. But I think that's, you know, that's the common and maybe like being one yourself, like maybe talking about the unicorn dynamic, because I think that's what we hear a lot when the unicorn topic is a, is a perennial issue on the show. And like, I, like my personal perspective is like, if the person that's showing up as the third, as the unicorn, whether it's a, you know, who, whoever the person is, it doesn't really matter the gender, the, like if they want to be there and they're getting what they need out of it, then there's no issues with the unicorn dynamic. Um, but when people start to take advantage of a third person and start to whatever, cast them aside and they're, they don't care about this other person's needs. That's where the issue comes in. But yeah. Yeah. I'm going to also jump back to when you said rock and sex for me, rock and sex includes like aftercare and cuddles. Like my favorite part of sex is the cuddles after sex. You need the sex for the cuddles after sex, but the cuddles after sex sometimes mostly usually are the best personally. So so for you, the sex isn't complete until a cuddle is had pretty much. Yeah. Wow. I've never heard it put like that. So like straight, like directly to me. And I, yes, I agree. So it's, it's not the orgasm that signifies the, the finish of sex. It's the cuddle. A hundred percent. Sometimes I only orgasm during the cuddles. For real? Mm-hmm. Wow. It's like the, the emotional component is integral for me. Yeah, yeah, totally. Which is really fascinating because somebody hearing that, like, you just want to show up for sex and be the unicorn, like, I wouldn't have thought that. Yeah, yeah. I guess I have to be emotionally connected to someone to want to have sex with them. And 
even if the sex is, let's say, rough, kinky, etc., not necessarily sweet or gentle, like there is a level of, I hope, usually, I try to have a level of respect and care as an undercurrent. And so uh, you can't, you can't show up like for like a one night stand with a couple and then leave and not have had like, you can't do that unless there's already emotional fulfillment. Like, like you get to know them first or dinner beforehand or talking afterwards. Like that, I I, I wanted to go back because like that's integral Mm -hmm. to my idea of like a rocket night of sex too. So yeah, to be clear. No, I think it's that's all included. perfect, and I'm, I'm happy you did that because you are getting those needs met, but you're also meeting a lot of your own. Yeah. And it sounds like when you show up for that, that's your level of expectation from these people, and you're not going to show up unless you know you can get that. Yeah. We're but, getting lots of nods and points. Yeah, sorry. I keep forgetting. <laughs> <laughs> I just wanted to let everybody know that I said it correctly. <laughs> uh, I know this is kind of an impossible question to answer, but where do you see yourself going in the future? Oof. This is <laughs> such a fun question because I remember at one point, let's say like 2016, a friend asked me about it and I was like, it was like the first time I ever considered like an open marriage. Like it, I was at that stage in my development like, remember, I was a baby. I was a very, very small baby uh, at the beginning of all this, despite where I ever I may be now. And I was like, oh, my goodness. Yeah. Why? I guess now that I recognize that this is possible, why would it ever stop? Right. It's like and but I had always projected myself like a, you know, a partner that I, you know, live with or uh, now. Hmm. I don't. Uh, well, there's some like exciting news that Basically, I have friends who are like also lovers who are having children with their lovers who have lovers. And it's like anything's like I've talked about co-parenting with some of my best friends, like who I don't have romantic relationships with. I am I, I think about adoption a lot. This is not really relevant, but like even on my own, like would I have would I have a partner or not? I don't know. Like I'm kind of open to, again, whatever may come. I have plenty of time before like long-term future, but short term, I'm, I'm game to keep, to keep uh, exploring new things. I dated a couple for a second um, this past year uh, who wanted to like have a, like a fidelitous triad. And I was like, man, I don't think that's for me, even though you're like open you're not really open outside of your, the three of you. I dated someone with like three kids uh, and I was like, actually, I'm not ready for that. Um, <laughs> like I'm, I'm still, I'm still progressing and like working through whatever happens, but yeah, I'm kind of open to anything and would love a community full of people who are on the same page as me to like grow together with and like have long like nuclear larger communities i guess yeah i love it and who knows right like this is all you're projecting today on we're recording this april 1st of 2021 that who knows what will happen but it's fun to dream and think in for all of us well and to reflect back on like what yeah what what the last five years has brought uh in terms of change and growth yeah 
Building on that a little bit more, I know you mentioned that just somewhat recently you've been exploring your gender identity. Do you mind talking a little bit about that exploration? I really appreciate that question and would love to. As I said, this last year was a lot of self-reflection and growth, mostly because I didn't have a primary partner. And I don't think it would have been possible otherwise for me to really, I guess, open up to myself, like have that much time focused inward. Um, And for most of my life, I was like, in terms of like, let's say, let's start simple pronouns, right? I was like, I don't really care about pronouns. Anything works. I'm me, whatever. And then I thought I knew who I was. And then I realized I didn't actually have as clear of an idea about who I was and how I wanted to present myself to the world, but also like in my own, I guess, embodied cognition vision of myself. Um, because there were things that were coming up that made me feel uncomfortable in terms of my own physical body, but also my own relationship to other bodies. And so this past year, again, you could attribute it to COVID in terms of like not getting out of the house very much or really the world going to pieces even more so than it already was. Um, I wasn't really feeling that sexually, like I wasn't feeling interested in sex either. And I, and I kind of had this dissociation from my body, but in a way that I'd never experienced. And so um, I started actually doing psycho, uh, like, um, like more somatic based therapy, um, similar to like Hakomi method or anything. If you, know anything like that. Okay. Um, and basically therapy, but focused on like sensations in the body. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. And I realized that I wanted to have the world acknowledge the multiplicity and the, these, I guess, this, this discomfort I felt at being seen and being projected upon as a quote unquote woman as, you know, um, I, I, I wanted to, hmm, this is, yeah, I haven't actually talked about this that much to people other than close friends. So this is a, a good exercise in realizing how to put into words what I felt. And, and just like take your time as well. Like there's no. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah. And if it's something you don't want to talk about, then like we don't have to. No, to no. I, I just, yeah, I haven't. So I'm like, I don't have my snappy uh, recordings. Okay. I'm trying to remember where I left off. I'm just going to start over again. Yeah, you can start wherever. Yeah. I started using they, them pronouns in a group of queer motorcyclists in the Bay. And then I realized that she, she, her, those words felt stifling. They felt suffocating. And that 
you know, I didn't know how far I wanted to like explore my identity. I still don't know in terms of like, like physical changes in terms of like going on tea, top surgery, like all these things are things again, like my future, I plan to see what happens and I'm open to them. Um, but just kind of acknowledging to myself that like, Hey, a lot of why you've been pushing so hard in terms of the erotic world, physical world, like sports, all these things, and also mental world is because you're trying to break out of where you felt you were stuck. You felt that you were ascribed, like this is who you are. And I realized like I had never actually stopped and questioned that, that truth because it was easier. And I feel so much respect and like awe for those trans people who have come before and continue to this day to really unashamedly express who they are because there is so much truth in like fully, fully living yourself. Right. Um, however that manifests. And I guess recognizing that I wasn't fully living myself, fully living myself was the number one obstacle in fully living like who I am just to like recognize like, Oh, I have been just <laughs> really, really poorly informed about the choices I've been making. Like I thought I was doing the right thing. And then to like, look back and be like, Oh, my life has kind of been a lie in some ways. Like that world shattering event then gave me so much more room and like power and truth. Like I remember the first few times I asked, I started telling people that I was identifying as non-binary. Um, like I was crying and like the body response there was just, so powerful that it's like, Oh, I just felt it to be true. This is a side note, but when I have a full body orgasm, I also cry. Like it's just my like bodily response to like intense emotion. And so like when moments like this happen, it's just like, how, how can I argue with my body? Like my head thinks it knows things, but it doesn't. So I guess, yeah, there we go. I love it though. Like, thank you so much for sharing that journey because it's, it's obvious that, that you are like in the middle of, of still like figuring all of this out and just kind of trying things out to see how they feel. And is this the right direction? I, you know, I didn't feel like this was really the right, uh, you said the word she, her word sti felt stifling to you. So, okay, let me try something different and see how that feels. And I, I love that you are embracing, it sounds like you're embracing this journey of, of figuring out who, what feels the best for you. Yes. Just beginning it truly. <laughs> well, I think it's powerful. You said that like you, in some ways you feel like everything up to that point was a lie. And I think that's, uh, that's a huge statement. Yeah, maybe that maybe misinformed is better. Because I thought it was the I thought it was my truth, right? And then to recognize like, oh, you're not you're not restricted to that. There there's more. 
out there. Um, just looking back now, I can be like, actually, yeah, I felt uh, like I never liked X, Y, Z parts of my body or I always felt kind of like a gay dude, like, you know, just like in terms of like how you project, it's like, because sexuality and gender, although are very, very separate, they're linked in many ways. And I always remember being for the most part drawn to like people with penises and being like, but I'm queer. And it's like, who, how, how to reconcile my, my identities in these different groups. And as someone who was presenting pretty femme, like, how do you, how do you reconcile others' perceptions of you? And I guess recognizing that I wanted the world's perception of me to change was really important. It wasn't just like my own um, acknowledgements, like, oh, I want validation from the people around me. And what do you, I guess, what is your hope? Like, what do you hope that they recognize or their perception changes to? At the end of the day, I want people to look at me and know me for who I am and not for any ascribed labels or identities because we're all trying to find our little in groups and like say, Oh, like I like chocolate. I also like chocolate. Like, okay, now we're chocolate lovers. It's like, that's great. But like, how do you eat your chocolate? Like, I guess that's more important to me at the end of the day. And so a lot of the words that I'm now trying to use are just stepping stones to figuring out who I am. And so I hope that I'm able to pre present who I am in a clear enough way that people see me and know me and the words stop to mat stop mattering. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. No, thank you for that. And I think it's super well said. Mm -hmm. so. I was also curious. It sounds like you're fairly open in your life about who you are, what your relationship styles are. How has that process been for you? Like to be how open with everything are you and how has that been? Well, in terms of disclosure to people themselves, that partners that I'm dating, that's always been, you know, top of the list. I always practice ethical non-monogamy. Um, in terms of family and friends, I, <laughs> at this point, it's funny, like anything is, is, is condign and anything's a go. Everyone knows that I'm just living my life, but definitely at first there was a lot of conversations about why this lifestyle was important to me. Um, why I continued it, even though it was really difficult for me because my friends saw that. Um, but yeah, I, there, I guess I'm out to anyone who cares to know or who is close enough to have that information. I, yeah, there's, I'm, I mean, my, I don't think my grandma realizes that I'm dating lots of people, but She's not going to listen to this either. Hi, Grandma. If you ever do, maybe I'll send it to her. Hey. Um, hey, surprise. I don't think that's nice. Um, but yeah. Uh, yeah. I'll, I'll tell anyone anything about my life. Like I checked in with partners before this in case like 
they didn't want me to say anything about our relationship and stuff. And I recognize that's been really important that not everyone's limits are as uh, high as mine and, or their comfort levels are as um, flexible. And so I've, that's my number one lesson. It's like check in with other people first before yeah. you start to share. Yeah. yeah don't just a, don't assume. Yeah. That's a super good point. Yeah. Yeah. I think, so we talked a little bit before we started recording and, and uh, maybe kind of bringing back a, a full circle of like a couple of weeks ago, we interviewed Leanne and that episode came out and we talked with Zach and you are also an uh, organizer. And so we, we're like, we're going to have a deeper discussion on orgies, orgy etiquette. I don't know, uh, elite level university orgy clubs, whatever we want to call them. Um, and you're going to be soon. P- part of that roundtable discussion with, with us. But I wanted to maybe like pull in like s- some things that you've learned and some things you've taken away from your experiences being part of that group. And also maybe tying it into like your safety and your sexual health and your just health in general. As you, you know, you've said, I have lots of lovers and I come in and out of different dynamics and you like, how do you keep yourself safe in all of these different scenarios? And like, what does that look like for you? Yeah. Super important question. Of course, that boils down to communication, um, protection, of course, in terms of the physical world, but communication and trust with partners that doesn't develop for a long time. Let's be very clear. Like trust is something that also needs time, like all the good things in life. Um, I think that recognizing consent as something that needs to be so clearly dated in terms of the orgies like ask before you touch someone like even put a hand on their shoulder like those kinds of interactions um taught me a lot about verbal cues because I'm not necessarily a verbal person and I've definitely in my life like gotten into scenarios that I wasn't it's not that I didn't want to be there but I didn't want to be there um I, you're nodding now. Yeah. The subtlety. (laughs) Exactly. And so I guess, hmm, how did I learn? I learned how to gracefully exit. Let's say you're making out with someone at an orgy and you don't really want it to progress, but you're at an orgy and you're making out with them. It's like, uh, well, what do we do next? Right. Maybe you can say like, Hey, I just want to make out. Or, um, like you, you can say, I'm going to go to the bathroom and then I'm probably not going to come back over here. You know, like you can be very clear in terms of where you want things to go, even if you are enjoying kissing them, because sometimes it's really hard once things are initiated to, stop them especially in Mm -hmm. these environments um so like right without with being kind and graceful yeah exactly like not all roads lead to sex like that's okay um so that's really and especially like coming into my queer 
self, like in large part to orgies, because that was like an opportunity to have more queer experiences that also, you know, decentralizes the role of orgasms. And it's like we were talking about earlier, um, all about the cuddles and like recognizing that it's okay to not progress always just to like penetrate penetrative sex or like actually anything below the waist. Right. You know, like I can have a great night just like making out and cuddling with someone and that's okay too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. Uh, I think that, that like all of that, like you said, it boils down to communication. Right. And there's things, right. There's get tested, wear condoms, all the different types of protection. But at the end of the day, like it's about that communication. It's about trusting who you're with to some degree, even if that's somebody you met an hour before or 10 minutes before. And being able to have that confidence and that self-awareness again to like be able to say in the middle of making out with somebody like, I don't want this to go further. How do I now stop the stop the uh, the escalator and like those again those are things that you do probably did wrong a bunch of times until you started to find like ways that it worked right and so i think yeah it was was super important pieces there and maybe tying that into like how do you when you've organized these sex parties or whatever we'll call them at this point the ways to create some frameworks for people that maybe aren't that um, skilled. (laughs) Yeah. So this is actually perfect because as you were talking there, I was thinking about like, yeah, communication first and foremost. And I was thinking about actually after graduating from college, I went and lived in Hong Kong for some time and I was organizing there as well, just like by myself. Um, with people I had met at play parties, munches, kinky BDSM events, but who wanted more sex focused events and were like, Oh, you've done this before. We want to host one at our apartment. And like, or like I, like someone would come from out of town that I'd been talking with beforehand, like on Tinder and they'd get a hotel room or something. And, you know, like I'd pull in people that I knew. And so again, communication beforehand, if you can, especially when things like a little more, um, non-vanilla come into play. If you can talk to people beforehand about what they don't want, if they're very clear about what their hard nose are about what their like, so, so's are. And then what is like a go like that beforehand already sets the stage to go in comfortably knowing like, Oh, I know that you don't want to be touched in this way. I know that you want this. Like I'm going to do that. We're both going to have a great time. And actually it's a lot more fun having the consent already given. And of course things are always open to change in the moment, but like having people before the parties, like come together, like, you know, over drinks or something, talk about what they want, what their intentions are. Even like if it's a smaller event, if it's like you and a partner, like someone you just met, right. Let's say you sit down and are, you're making out. It's like, okay, what do you want to do? Oh, like, what would you like? What, Maybe don't you want to do like you can like say like, oh, I want to be kissed um, here and here, but not here. Like, you know, and you can be sexy in the ways that you already pre-negotiate those outs. 
And that's how mm-hmm. to make it graceful. The pre-communication. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I have so many uh, examples of this. <laughs> yeah, all right. So this is something that we've, we've, we were sort of introduced to at a, a desire by some friends where like before like a, a group situation happens, like you go around the circle and everybody introduces themselves and what they're into and not into for the evening. Share circle. The share circle. And like, it has by and large been just super helpful, but there's, uh, there's two stories that I'll maybe quickly go through. Please. One is um, one of our friends and they were actually episode three, I think. I'm not sure which story Phoenix you're and tell. Beast. Okay. So she's a, she's basically a self-identified lesbian who married a guy. And so they go to a lot of these events or not a lot, but they go to some of these events, but she typically only plays with other women. And she shared this in the circle and there was a guy who showed up late. He had to like park the car or something. So he missed, he missed this piece of information and he was like trying to hit on her like all night long. And she, he was like, finally, like, can I, can I kiss you? And she's like, no, like I'm a lesbian. And she's, he had no idea that like she had this rule out there. Cause he missed, he missed that piece of it. And and I will just say it happened to me in one instance where during the share circle, somebody was like, I really like this thing. And I kept trying to do that thing. It was biting their neck. And I kept trying like different ways. And I was like, I just felt like I was chewing on this person and it was just doing absolutely nothing. So I just gave up and I was like, I'm out. I can't. I can't. Like, somebody says they like something. I tried to do that thing. And then I was, it was eliciting zero reaction. And I was like, ah, I'm really uncomfortable. But you I'm tried. Yeah. Be- yeah. I gave because up. Because they stated so, uh, that want and you yeah. tried and you're like, oh, I can't give you that. <laughs> So all of that to say that communication ahead of time is extremely it important. It is. And even when you do, sometimes it doesn't and go some, Yeah. Sometimes you're still going <laughs> to screw it up. Like you try and everyone tries and sometimes like there still needs to be room for error. And that's and that's how Finn ends up in the kitchen eating Tim Tams by himself at an orgy. <laughs> Been there. Oreos, <laughs> <laughs> but. Yeah. Same, hey, same yeah. thing. Yeah. So, uh. Well, um, <laughs> yeah, go ahead. I wanted to really quick, you said that you wanted the, to talk a little bit more about your kink uh, parties and BDSM parties. I wanted to make sure you had the opportunity to do that since it sounds like that has been something that maybe you've been exploring a little bit more recently. Yeah. Thank you for catching that. Definitely was as an adult, like outside of the organizer team, you know, like realizing like, oh, I can, I can continue to explore all these new facets and it definitely meshes the kink community meshes well with the non monogamy community as well because at play parties often people can play with each other even when they're not um even if they're like in a mostly monogamous relationship so they'll go there with a partner and they'll play with their partner but they might also be open to playing with other people and i think that again communication in this community just because it it is required to a certain extent based on some of the activities going on is so critical my communication skills even more so than orgies um the play parties have increased my ability to communicate my own needs like you said these sharing circles um that didn't really happen at the orgies on a larger scale and um having to navigate power dynamics, um, 
and recognizing like how, let's say someone in a position of like, like a more submissive position is actually in control a lot of the time about what's going on over what's going on because of these pre-negotiated terms. Mm -hmm. And so like recognizing my own agency again. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. It's, it's integral. We've, we've touched upon it all. Like (laughs) generally speaking, I could go on for so long about it all. (laughs) No. And I think it's, and I think maybe some of that will come back up when we sit down with, with Zach and Leanne and, and dive into these, like the nuts and bolts of these interactions. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And I'm excited. I'm super excited for that. I'm excited yeah. to, to have you back on. And I hope, I hope this is not your, your one and only appearance on the show. Cause you've had so much, I don't know, amazing. Wonderful. Yeah. Amazing things to say. Um, so many amazing things to say. Not so yeah. much amazing. Um, work, <laughs> I'm still working on my grammar. Honestly, this has been great. And I, my only, my only complaint is that I'm talking so much. I can't hear about you too. It's like, I know that like you guys should do an episode, uh, like every month or so just about where you're at. I think that'd be fun. Yeah. That episode, uh, that, that yeah. would be a, that would be a tall order today. Um, <laughs> right now where we're at. Yeah. It would take a month long episode <laughs> to, to go through it. But I would but, say it really just boils down to eating Tim Tams at orgies uh, by myself in the kitchen. And learning how to <laughs> continually improve your communication throughout your entire life. Like, I feel like that's just a continual learning process. You try one thing, you're like, oh, I'm going to nail it this time. And then you try it and you're like, ah, oh, I didn't quite nail it. Got to figure out and recalibrate and try again. And um it's just part of learning and growing and yeah. doing difficult things in life. And yeah. And then there's um, one Tim Tam left and you see someone else looking at it. And so you hand it to them. Right. <laughs> have you had Tim Tams? I, no, I have no idea what a then Tim you Tam don't, is. You don't, you don't, hand, <laughs> you don't share Tim Tams like that. It's a, it's like the, uh, the uh, Australian like national cookie, cookie dessert. They're like, yeah. They're, they're, they're kind of they're pretty good they're like fudge covered wafers with fudge filling uh you'll have to try as to get you some as oreos are here tim tams are sharing a tim tam is a difficult experience emma was referring to <laughs> yes. yeah yeah that's mostly what my struggles are around sharing <laughs> sharing dessert food with others yeah <laughs> uh, well, is there anything else that you'd want to share before we let you go today um I did have a couple bloopers that. Yeah, let's do it. Um, We'd love to hear them. Yeah, I was like, oh, this is going to be a fun category. Um, This is my favorite one. It didn't occur to me, but I saw it happen. And it was a friend at one of our uh, large orgies. So there was um, a lot going on. And a lot of people, I think, were new. And my friend is hooking up with a guy. She's on top. She's like, they're really getting into it. They're having a great time. And she, she likes, um, impact play. And so she asked the guy like, hit me, hit me. And he's like, yeah. And she's like, yeah, hit me. And so he winds up and socks her in the stomach, like 
punches her straight in the stomach. Like she meant like a slap, like, you know, like not a punch. And she just like keels over, like just falls off of him. And and I I can't, I can't tell that story without just like dying. I felt so bad for the guy um, because he just like didn't know what she meant. Um, But he went for it. I mean, it's hard to be mad at him, but also like, yeah, uh, yeah. maybe like, negotiate that okay, a little that, better that ahead of down, time. That comes down to the communication piece. That's like a, <laughs> hey, I like it when sometimes I like it when guys hit me, and what I mean is this: I don't, I don't. Exactly, <laughs> I don't mean a gut punch. Uh, exactly, yeah. I had that escalate to Kogi. And another really last little tidbit is I was talking to Zach. I think sometime in the last year. Um, about our lives at Yale and people hooking up with. And I realized that he was best friends with someone that I had been seeing the girlfriend of and ended up having a threesome with the two of them. And he like all of a sudden clicked like this person he had been hearing about. We don't divulge names usually in the, Mm -hmm. the circles. He realized that this person he'd been hearing about for a long time was me and it was this like beautiful moment. He's like, oh, that was you. That was like, oh. And I was like, yeah, oh, you're that. Like, and it was just like this hilarious like realization that we'd been talking about each other in abstract terms in different circles for a long time. Less of a blooper. I just thought it was really funny. Like, when you connected the dots. Yeah, yeah. It's like that you can be revolving around someone for so long before actually ever even realizing like you're all hooking up. <laughs> I love it. The, the lives we live. I know. I know. <laughs> I'm so grateful. Yes. Yes. Well, I thank you again, G. Thank you, Zach. I hope you're listening uh, for putting us in touch love you, with Zach. G. Yes. yes. And we look forward to having the two of you plus Leanne uh, come back for that. We'll be setting that up soon. And we're just, we're just excited and grateful to have people like you on the show and, 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 yeah now in our orbit yeah thank you so much for everything honored to be here and so so grateful for all the work that you do and personally and you know in terms of the podcasts for this world yeah well thank Thank you you. and thanks for being a part of it and we'll let you go and enjoy your your afternoon thanks have a great one and we're back totally crushed that intro huh totally crushed the intro oh well maybe they uh, forgot about the intro by now because they listened to the whole interview that's one hope or they shut it off halfway through the, the intro, intro? Oh, let's hope let's hope not anyway, sorry sorry g if that's what happened no that didn't that's emma's fault no no anyway <laughs> thank you thank you g for coming on the show it was wonderful and amazing to talk with you and thank you zach uh, for putting us in touch with g uh we asked zach like hey you probably know some other awesome people. He's like, oh, I got some people. Yes. And that's and Zach from episode 141. Speaking of people Zach knows, next week. Yes. That's uh, we great got a great segue. We, awesome segue. Thank you. <laughs> Another person that Zach knows, next week, Ryan. Yeah. And you're going to want to stay tuned and you, come back. And you listen. aren't going to want to miss that one either. Um, nope. Fantastic. I would say conversation, but it's really more of a monologue. <laughs> yeah. We 
you and I don't do a lot of talking next week. <laughs> and it's not, we don't need to. No, it's beautiful just the way it is. <laughs> so uh, look forward to that one. Um, again, just a couple of dates for the Patreon community in case you forgot. We got May 17th for the men's group, uh, May 19th for the women's group, and May 26th for the Q&As. Again, if you're not a member already, go ahead and head over to the website, normalizingnonmonogamy.com. Click on the Patreon tab and you can check it out. The other quick thing we wanted to mention is if you're getting back out there and vaccinated, first be vaccinated, please. Hey, we're vaccinated. We are. By the time this airs, we'll have our second shot. Yes. We're so, 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 so excited. Anyway, once you're vaccinated and you're getting out back out there and meeting people, uh, please also go get tested for STIs. It's this, the smart thing to do and the best way we know how and what we recommend is to go use... And what we use. And exactly what we use too is the website stdcheck.com and you can get $10 off your panel by using the um, links on our webpage. Just go to normalizingnonmonogamy.com and click on the resources tab. There's links there. Or, and it, or in your podcast player, there's direct links straight over there yes. in the show notes. Yes. And it does, or using those links does support the show. So again, super Financially, easy. she says we make some money off of it. <laughs> yes. Thanks this for, one's already a train wreck. Thanks for clarifying. I might as well just keep interrupting you. <laughs> Thanks for clarifying. Yeah. But it is a great service and it's super easy. So we highly, highly recommend it. Yeah. Okay. Are you going to keep interrupting me? I was waiting. There's nothing to interrupt. You're done. <laughs> okay. Uh, well, we already said what's next week. So I think that's it. Come back and listen to Ryan. Is that it? You have no, everything I else? I think that's it. Yeah. Okay. Bye, everyone. Thanks for listening.